Welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and it's been a while, two weeks to be exact. A lot of things have happened in the world of animation and things affecting me personally. Uh, First, biggest story, Chris Savino from The Loud House was let go from Nickelodeon due to allegations of sexual harassment. It was in all of the major news outlets. Nickelodeon released a press release. And yeah, you guys, not gonna lie, the past couple of weeks was really rough. And it was really tough finding that out. And I just want to say thank you to friends and coworkers that reached out with your support really appreciate it and i just want to say thank you to nickelodeon for how they handled the situation because they've handled it really well and i just want to say thanks to all the folks on the team i have enjoyed working on the show and my supervisors have been great and i just want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show because it really is a team effort and just Thank you to everyone out there for loving our show. We really appreciate it. And I just want to say to women out there, good for you for standing up and for letting people know what's going on. There's been a lot of talk of harassment in the entertainment industry and other industries. And as a result, all of these allegations and all of these things that have been going on have been coming to light. And that is a good thing. Everyone deserves to be treated with respect. No one should be intimidated in any way. So for the women that came forward, I salute your courage because that is a very tough thing to do. And for all of the men out there who have been allies to women and who support and respect and champion women, good for you as well because we need your support. Everyone needs to support one another and respect one another. And I just want to say to everyone out there, no matter what profession you're in, whether you're young or old, whether you're just starting out or you're a seasoned veteran, you deserve to be treated with respect. You deserve to be heard. No one has the right to treat you poorly, no matter what your job title, no matter how much money you make or how much money you don't make. And if people are not treating you right, speak up. And if you see someone who's not being treated right, be their ally, stand up for them. It's only by being in this together and working together that people will be treated with respect. And I have nothing but the deepest respect and gratitude for those out there who are doing just that. And in other news, I was also very sick for the past week. So that wasn't good either. So it's just things upon things going on. So I appreciate all of you out there for your support as I deal with life. Sometimes life is tough, you guys. All of you know that. It can be rough out there getting things together. On a positive note, while I was convalescing at home and drinking a lot of tea and taking a lot of medicine, I had the opportunity to watch a number of fine films I watched Edge of Tomorrow, starring Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt, Alfred Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train, Akira Kurosawa's Sanjuro, The Poseidon Adventure, a Japanese film called Ugetsu, and The Red Turtle. And I highly recommend every single one of those films. 
if you're a big film buff like me and you love movies, which I bet you do because if you're listening to this podcast, it's because you love television and film and this is your industry and you probably want to work in it, I highly recommend watching as many movies as you can across all genres, across all time periods, not just animated films. Watch films. Watch everything you can get your hands on, which in the days now of Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Prime, HBO Go, Cable, The Library, Canopy, there's so many ways to watch films, going to the movie theater, but I recommend just watching everything you can. And in particular, I really liked Ugetsu. It's a very, very good movie. Very solid. Very sad. I also recommend Strangers on a Train, which is surprisingly funny and weird. And The Red Turtle was beautiful and bittersweet and fantastically animated. It's so great. So get out there, watch more films. Especially now, this is the golden age of media. There's so much. We can literally watch everything that has ever been. It's ridiculous. I love it. And speaking of amazing things that are going on, it's November, which means it is time for conventions. Convention season is upon us. And first up is DesignerCon, which will be happening at the Pasadena Convention Center, November 11th and 12th. It's going to be fabulous. Very much looking forward to that. And then November 17th through 19th, is Creative Talent Network Expo, aka CTN. And this is the big one, guys. If you want to meet your animation heroes, if you want to go to panels, if you want to meet recruiters, this is the one for you. I've gone to CTN four times every single time. I've had a chance to meet recruiters. I've had a chance to meet professionals and have them look at my portfolio and get lots of notes and figure out how I can make my artwork better. I've had a chance to meet my heroes, buy prints, listen to fabulous talks. It's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. And now they have an opportunity for you to get tickets that are a lot cheaper than in past years. So you can get a day pass, which I highly recommend. Get a day pass for Saturday. Spend $30 and go and talk to everybody you've ever wanted to talk to in animation. So those are both going on this year. If you are an a student, if you are a professional, if you're trying to get in, if you're a fan, I recommend going to both conventions. And also happening in November is Inside the Animator Studio an Evening with Lauren Faust, which will be happening at the Winham Anaheim Garden Grove on November 18th. And all the links for these events will be in the show notes as well as on the website, so you'll be able to purchase your tickets there. And now I am very pleased to present today's guest, Nicole Ridgewell. Nicole is an animator at Pixar, but I actually interviewed her before she got her job at Pixar, while she was an animator over at the third floor here in Southern California. So we talked a lot about that, as well as her time at Academy of Art University and everything in between. So without further ado, I am pleased to present episode 56, Interview with Nicole Ridgewell. My guest today is Nicole Ridgewell. Nicole is an animator at The Third Floor, which is a visual effects house 
here in the Los Angeles area. And prior to working for The Third Floor, she also worked at Penrose as well as Nickelodeon. And she was an intern at both Pixar and Disney feature animation. So I always like to start off with where people are from. And I know that you actually have a very interesting story. You grew up in a trailer without electricity. And so I'm really curious to find out what that experience was like and what you and your family used to do and how that led you to get involved with animation. Uh, yeah, so it wasn't intentional. My parents were planning on building a house, but we were pretty poor and it just kind of never happened. Yeah, so I didn't have much TV or video games or cartoons to watch, which is maybe partially why I loved them so much. And I would always get kind of obsessive anytime I would get to go over to the neighbor's house and watch cartoons over there. I had some friends that were into anime and Disney movies. And so I think because I wasn't around it very much, it was kind of a novelty. And maybe that's partially why I was so drawn to them. So what was it that led you to decide that you wanted to be an animator? Well, actually, I didn't even know that animation was a career <laughs> for most of my life. I just liked to draw. I would draw and play music mostly as my hobbies growing up. And during high school, I was, I kind of assumed that I would always be a musician. But when it came time for college, I wanted to learn something new. And in researching colleges, I found out that being an animator was a thing that you could do. So I just kind of on a whim decided to pursue that in college. And I still play music and do music as well. So I, I kind of do both. But there was never really a deciding moment of like, oh, I'm going to become an animator. It was kind of just a natural process that happened, I guess. And you, I saw on a, your resume too that you taught music as well, and you were in a band all during college. So what was that experience like? Yeah, so I've been teaching music since I was a teenager, and I really early on started playing in bands and stuff. So that's always been a really big part of my life. And that's how I supported myself going to art school as well, was teaching music and playing so it, it was kind of the opposite, actually. Art and animation was more of my hobby, and music was more my actual career, right up until a couple years ago when I graduated from Academy and got brought on full-time in Nickelodeon. All right, so then let's get into your school career, because you did quite a bit while you were in school. You worked on a short film, as well as you know working, as well as teaching, how were you able to balance your time? Because I know that a lot of our listeners, you know, are in school and they're going through the same things. So how are you able to balance all of that out? I think for me personally, I'm almost better at time management when I have a lot of stuff going on in my life because it forces me to really use my time wisely because I don't have very much of it. Anytime that I get too much time and I in between jobs or anything, I find it much harder to be 
productive. So for me, it was just all about scheduling. I would work usually in the mornings and then have classes in the afternoons and do my homework in the evenings and work on my personal work and stuff at night. (laughs) So there wasn't a ton of sleeping while I was at school, but it was really fun. And yeah, I I definitely don't regret it. So then while you're in school, you also had the opportunity to intern. And first place, I believe you interned, was it was it Disney first or was it Pixar first? It was Disney first, and then Pixar was the year after. Okay, so how did you get your internship at Disney? Well, Disney opens up their applications for interns every fall, I believe it is. Or may- maybe it's winter. It's it's um I think it's in between January and March, I want to say. They ha- have a open application process, which means that anybody can send in their work. So they had a couple things. I'm trying to remember what all of the things were that they wanted you to send in. I sent in my demo reel. I sent in, I believe, a, a cover letter and they needed a letter of recommendation from someone at your university. So I was fortunate enough to get the director of my department at Academy of Art, Sherry Sinclair, who is an amazing, awesome teacher and person, to write me a letter. And so I sent all of that in with some drawings, I believe. And then it was... It was kind of just luck of the draw. I'm still not entirely sure why they chose me, but I got a phone call randomly while I was in lab working, and it was Matt Roberts, who's a recruiter over at Disney, and he told me congratulations, and I thought it was a prank at first, and it turned out it wasn't. (laughs) Fortunately, I didn't act like it was a prank, but in my head, I was like, this isn't real. No way. (laughs) That's great. I've heard... um... Similar stories from other guests. I have a a previous guest where she got an email and at first she thought it was spam and she almost deleted it. And I'm really glad she didn't. And so is she. So it sounds like it's the the same situation. of Oh, wait, this is real. Oh, this is really good. Yeah, it was definitely I picked up the phone. It was an unknown number. And I I totally thought it was going to be, you know, a spam caller. And then after the phone call was over, and I hung up the phone. I was in this, what I thought was an empty hallway, and I just started dancing because I was so excited. And then when I walked back into lab thinking no one had seen me, like everyone had seen me through the window. And was, <laughs> so I, everyone knew like immediately. Was, <laughs> yeah. But that's a happy thing. You can say, why, yes, I am dancing because Disney just called. Dance with me. It's all great. Dance with me. Yeah, it was, it was good. There you go. So what was it like interning at Disney? What is that process like? It was really fun and a ton of work and just a whirlwind of knowledge that I am still slowly having actually be processed in my brain. (laughs) I feel like they just dump so much information on you in such a short amount of time that even now when I'm working, I'll be like, oh, that's what my mentor was talking about. 
But yeah, it was really fun. The Pixar internship and the Disney internship are structured pretty differently. And I don't know if Disney still does this. I think I heard that they might not do this anymore. But when I went, they put all of the interns from all the different departments together and they have us all work on a short film. So instead of working on, you know, different test shots, we're involved in the whole collaborative process of making a film from beginning to end. So everything from storyboarding up through final renders. So that was really cool. We got to interact with the different interns from the different departments and make friends and get a feeling for what it's like to actually make a film at a feature studio. It was really, really exciting. That's wonderful. And did they offer classes as well? Because I know that at some some internships, they have classes along with, you know, different talks and whatnot. Or was it solely, now you're in the studio, this is your project, go forth? They did. Disney, so they did have us do various lunches and, you know, meeting the crew kind of things. And then we, in addition to a overseer of the whole project, we also had individual uh, mentors who worked with us on whatever our specific craft was. And mine was Michael Franceschi, who's an amazing animator. And he also kind of would bring me and introduce me to the animation crew and stuff like that. So they had various different things of introducing you to the studio, I guess. Very good. So you had your internship at Disney. Y'all completed your film, got to work on it. What was it like then returning to school, having just, you know, essentially worked in the industry for a couple of months? It was kind of surreal. It was hard because the Disney internship the summer internship is based on the idea that you're definitely going back to school to finish. And so even though I I wanted at that point to just kind of stay and work there, I had to go back and finish school. So it was a little bit lonely because a lot of my friends had graduated. And so I was kind of coming back to school, not knowing as many people. And then I was treated a little bit differently because people had heard that I had done the internship, so I wasn't in the same place of anonymity as before. (laughs) So, yeah, it it was interesting, but it was good, you know. School was really fun, and I had some really great teachers, and yeah, I just kind of put my head down and tried to bang out as much animation as I could. Was it different, like, oh, there goes that girl, that was the intern, and then were people afraid to talk to you, or, like, what exactly was happening? You know, it's a little hard for me to say, because it's difficult when you're the person having the experience, because you don't really know how other people see it, but... It was just a different vibe that I noticed, I think. And yeah, people just treated me differently, I guess. Like people had that in the back of their minds or maybe they didn't and I was just totally in my head making it up. (laughs) 
But yeah, it definitely, going back to school after doing the internship was, yeah, it was a little different. I think people <laughs> respected me more, which I don't know that I necessarily deserved that, but people would ask me for advice and stuff. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I think a little more respect is good, though, because I could I, I kind of feel like maybe it was more of a, oh, she's, you know, been to the other side. She's seen what it's like out there. She can report back her findings, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, whatever those happened to be. <laughs> so then you were an intern over at Pixar. So what was that experience like, especially uh, compared to Disney? It was very different than Disney. Disney, they focus a lot on, well, appeal and shapes and poses. They generally work with stepped blocking. And Pixar, and I mean, this is totally generalizing people because every animator has a different workflow, but Generally, I think at Pixar, they tend to, they do layered blocking more there. So there's more of an emphasis on timing and flow and the flow of the performance and the feeling of it. So it was neat to be able to, or maybe this was just a difference in the mentors that I happened to get, but it was neat to see both workflows and how the two different studios approach the same problem, totally different ways. So at Pixar, we weren't working on a film. We were doing individual test shots. You know, we started out with basic bouncing balls and ended with two character dialogue shots with the uh, Toy Story characters. Did you find that you were able to bring in a lot of what you would learn from Disney? Or since it was a different process, did you find that you had to maybe unlearn some things in order to do what they were talking about? I think every different studio that you go to, there's a little bit of unlearning what you thought you knew before because everybody does it differently and every director likes things a different way. and you have a new thing, a totally new thing, experience to have and a new thing to learn at every studio you go to. So I try not just with the internships, but with jobs to have a really open mind when I go somewhere new. And yeah, I learned totally new different things at Pixar. I think the one thing that was helpful was just having worked at a studio before I was able to kind of just navigate the working at an animation studio can be really stressful, you know, especially one that you've been dreaming of working at for so long. You can put a lot of pressure on yourself. And I think having done it once before, I was able to step back from that a little bit and enjoy the experience as opposed to stressing about whether everybody likes me or whether my shots are good enough and things that really you have no control over either way. That's good. And I'm, I'm really glad that you brought up that point because, you know, like you said, you watched, you know, all these different videos 
at your neighbor's house, but you watched, you know, all these different videos at your neighbor's house. And then you're in the studio with all these people that you were watching. So I imagine that must have been exciting, but nerve wracking. So I like what you said about just being able to push that aside and just do the work. Yeah, I think that it can it can be overwhelming, especially if you've never worked at an animation studio before, which other than those two internships, I had never worked at an animation studio. I was a music teacher, so it was I was coming from a really different world. And it's also kind of difficult to navigate because on one hand, animation studios, it's so fun. Everyone's having such a good time and it's so creative that it's almost easy to forget that you're at a workplace <laughs> and you know it to just to remember that you're somewhere professional and you have to treat other people professionally and and not take things personally and not let things get to you and if you start getting stressed out just kind of suck it up and you know really uh stay calm and centered i think I think also another thing that I learned at Pixar was to be confident of my ideas. Uh, I think in art, we have a tendency to be very self-deprecating and we don't want to seem like we're too cocky and no one wants to be around somebody who's cocky for sure. But I think that a lot of times animation students will take that too far and start to not trust their instincts. And at somewhere like Disney or Pixar, the reason that they chose you out of the hundreds of other applications is because of your choices. And I saw a lot of people, myself included, wasting a lot of time doubting their decisions and reblocking things and wanting to have this perfect, amazing unique idea when really every idea has been done before and it's I think really important how well you execute the idea and having confidence in your idea in the first place is a very important part of that and I learned that from my mentors at Pixar I think Aaron Harline and Ken Kim they're awesome oh that's great yeah and I've I've seen their work and their work is phenomenal and that's that's really cool that, you know, they're giving back their time too and like mentoring essentially the next generation of animators. Yeah. It meant so much. I would not have an animation job at all if it weren't for the amazing people who took way more time than they needed to out of their very busy lives to help me out. Not just the people in the internships, but also just teachers at Academy. And if anybody ever gets the chance to take a class outside of their school, I highly recommend the Animation Collaborative. Michael McCarevich is an amazing teacher and he taught me so much as a student. And I, I definitely didn't get a lot of things until I had somebody like knock it into my head and <laughs> explain it to me. <laughs> and yeah. Animation Collaborative is really great. There's also other awesome online animation schools that I'm sure people are aware of. Yeah. Excellent. And let's, let's talk more about that because I wanted to ask you, how did you decide 
to go to Animation Collaborative? And the reason I ask is because I think a lot of times, at least this is what I hear from students or people wanting to go into school, they think that, oh, I just need to go to this one school, whatever you know that school might be, and I will just gain the compendium of knowledge about all that is animation and I'm set. And what I'm learning from people is that is not the case. So how did you decide, hey, you know what? Along with going to Academy, I also want to take classes here. <laughs> well, yeah, it definitely did not happen that way for me. I think pretty early on, I'm torn because I'm very grateful to art school. And I think that I learned a lot there and I don't regret going to Academy at all. But I think, and maybe this might be a bit of a, I don't know, people might disagree with me here. But I think in general, overall, as far as art schools go, any four-year art school, the cost, the amount that you pay is not equivalent to the quality that you get back. They're just too expensive. I, I mean, I think college in general is, it's the price is so inflated. So when I was going to Academy, while I don't regret going there and it was money well spent, I could see right off the bat that I was not gonna get the knowledge that I needed to really do this professionally only from going to art school. I was gonna need to really seek out people who could really help me, who could just give me the knowledge that just going to class and doing your homework is definitely not enough. At least it wasn't for me. Some people are amazingly talented savants that just figure it out, but for me, it really needed to get hammered into my head. So I took as many classes as I could, and. I didn't have rich parents, nobody paid for my school. I worked a bunch of jobs so that I could go and I took animation collaborative classes, I took animation mentor classes. Since then I've taken an anim squad class, I've taken Concept Design Academy. All of those schools are amazing and I've learned so much. I, I think I just like classes, I like taking classes. <laughs> I like learning new things and seeing different perspectives from different teachers. So I highly recommend the amount that you pay for one of these classes is so tiny in comparison to the amount that you're going to pay for a four-year school. And I'm not saying you shouldn't go to a four-year school because I had a really great experience going to a four-year school and um, it was it was really fun and I learned a lot there. But you can't only just go to your four-year school. You, you have to seek out mentors. Very good. And outside of your internship, have you had other, I mean, you know, you mentioned Sherry, you mentioned teachers at school. Have you had other mentors aside from, you know, people at school and in your internship? That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the people who has been a huge mentor in my life that I already mentioned him is Michael McCarovich. He He's a teacher. He owns the Animation Collaborative and I was lucky enough to take his class and He's been really great with with feedback and everything. Once I finished school, well, I kept taking classes. So I took an Anim Squad class with Andrew Chessworth, and he's an amazing teacher. I took CDA classes. I started taking storyboarding classes with Tron Mai. He's 
an incredibly amazing teacher in person. I would definitely recommend his story class if you're interested in storyboarding. And then, I mean, just just people at work. I'd, I've had some really great supervisors and people that I've learned from just at the studios that I've worked at. At Nickelodeon, my supervisor was Andy Harvey, who is a Canadian animator, and he taught me a lot about how to animate quicker and, yeah, lots of mentors. I try and convince anyone I interact with to mentor me in this small way. I just try and soak up as much information as I can from people. That's excellent. And, you know, for our listeners out there that want to have a mentor, you know, whether it's a mentor from class or a teacher, how do you go about getting that mentor? Is it, do you go up to them and just say, be my mentor? Or is it one of those things where you just, hey, I have a rapport with this person. I can ask them questions. I mean, honestly, the way that I've done it is just pay for a class. I like, I gave you money, so you have to teach me now. There's, I mean, I, I think to me, it's when you take a class, you can do the minimum and that's fine and you'll still learn a lot. But for me, I try and do the absolute maximum that I can. And generally, when you're a teacher and you see someone in your class that's trying really hard, you know, it makes you want to help them more. You can see somebody struggling and really trying to break through and get better. So, you know, if if you're in a class, yeah, just work really hard and, and hopefully that person will want to help you out more, you know, that's kind of how I've done it. I haven't had much luck at just asking people to help me without it's always a kind of a situation where it's been set up that way to, I think just randomly asking people for help is a bit awkward, maybe. I don't know how useful that would be, but maybe. That's fantastic. It's, it's like, all right, you're my mentor. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think one way that's fairly acceptable is I'll get emails fairly often from people who find my blog and have questions and I think that's totally fine if if you want to email people and ask them questions I've had people do that and I know of other people who have kind of cold emailed artists that they admire and gotten really helpful responses back but yeah I think just being curious and asking questions if you're at your job and if you're in class kind of the same thing yeah, I could see that because you'd need some kind of rapport, you know, either you know them already or you get to know them over time rather than, oh, you know what you're doing? Help me. It's like, well, well, wait, hold on. Who are you? You know? So then speaking of, you know, you took classes, you got mentors, you're able to get various internships, you know, then you started working at Nickelodeon. So what was it like? you know, working full-time versus being an intern? It was, in some ways, easier. <laughs> like, knowing that you're stable and, and that you've kind of got the job and not stressing about where you're going to be in a few months 
is kind of nice. Nickelodeon was a challenge because TV animation, you have to produce much more quickly than feature. And I had never been the fastest one in any of my internships anyways. So it was kind of the perfect thing for me because it really forced me to get my workflow to the point where I could bust out shots quickly. So it was learning new skills. It wasn't so much learning how to perfectly craft a pose or take a shot to complete polish. It was more about how can I do this in the most efficient way. All right. And which shows or shows or show did you work on while you were on Nickelodeon? I worked on a Nick Jr. show called Wally Kazam. Okay. That's a very cute show. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> I get really attached to the characters that I animate. And by the time that show was over, I was like, I, I felt like they were all my friends. And I actually, probably no one who's listening to this has seen Wally Kazam. But Wally has a pet dragon named Norval. And they're best friends. And it's adorable. And I got to, when the show was finally canceled, they gave me the last shot in the whole show to animate and it's Wally and Norville and they're laughing and they give each other a hug and then that's the last time you ever see them and I remember animating that shot and like trying not to cry because like <laughs> I like cared about them so much it was like they were dying but it was like a really beautiful kind of like I am sending them off to heaven <laughs> yeah I could see that. I would think I probably would cry if I was doing that because it'd be like, oh, they're going to go off, you know, and the show's ending, but you just imagined, but they're going to continue to have adventures and grow up and do fun things. And it's like, oh, it's their last moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so overly sentimental. But yes. Yeah. So that was the show I worked on. Oh, very good. Very good. And I saw on your blog, too, that you had an opportunity to pitch a show. So what was that experience like? That was super cool. So at Nickelodeon, they'll pretty much take a pitch from anybody who's working there. And I had, there weren't very many animators on the show because a lot of the work gets shipped overseas. So I ended up befriending a bunch of storyboard artists and falling in love with that whole process. And some of them were pitching shows. And that was kind of why I originally want, wanted to go to art school was to, to make my own art and do my own thing. And I had really enjoyed making my student film. So I figured, why not? So I... I put together a pitch Bible for a show that I still intend to make at some point called Georgia and the Singing Mountain. And it was kind of based around music and my experiences playing music as a kid. And I pitched it uh, in the spring and it kind of went on for four or five months of 
I'd pitch and then they'd tell me to change things or do different things and then I'd pitch again. And then eventually they passed on it, but it was such a cool experience to learn that process and to work on something like that. And yeah, I'm thinking now I might make that into a children's book, but I haven't quite decided what the format is going to be. That would be very cool if you had that as a as a children's book, because I've seen the illustrations that you've done, and they're they're very whimsical and fun. So I feel like it would lend itself very well to that. Thank you. Thanks. Nickelodeon, the way they structure their shows is there's shows for older kids, and then there's shows for younger kids. And um, the, the younger kids shows can be teaching shows that have to do with, you know, whatever, learning to read or, and then the older kids shows are more, you know, comedies. So what I wanted to do wasn't really either one of those. It, it had to do with learning music, but it was for older kids. And I think it, it was, I was a little bit confused about <laughs> what it was, but I still really like the idea of having a story that is entertaining and neat, but maybe at the back of the book, yeah, have the sheet music. You bring up a good point. So, you know, since you've gone through this process and you got different notes and you're working on it, what are some recommendations that you have for people that, you know, if they have an opportunity to pitch, what would you recommend that they do based on what you learned? That's such a good question. What would I recommend? I would recommend you do a lot of research about whatever it is that you're doing. And I recommend that you know your characters way better than you think you know them. I kind of rushed it because I had this opportunity and I really wanted to do it. So I pretty much came up with a show in a couple months, which is pretty dumb. Most people spend years <laughs> coming up with a show and getting to know their characters, like the back of their hand and exploring their world and researching the material. So just really take the time and by the time you pitch, you should have an answer to any question anyone wants to ask. And if somebody wants to change your show, you should have, you should know it well enough to know why that wouldn't work because when you pitch something people are going to have whoever you're pitching to is going to give you notes of things to change and that can be as simple as oh restage this or it can be I don't, I don't know if this mechanic of your world is working or maybe this character should be like this instead and if you don't know your story and your characters well enough it's going to get away from you. It's going to become their story and their characters. So yeah, just really know it and love it and keep it close to your heart, I guess. <laughs> That's good to know. Cause I know that there, there's a lot of, a lot of people I know want to pitch and a lot of people, like you said, I think they think, Oh, I just have to come up with this really cool idea and then they'll buy it without taking a whole lot of time to think about what goes into it. So that's, 
it's good to hear, you know, from someone who's done it, spend time. Spend time, definitely. But I don't know that I'm necessarily the best person to be giving advice on pitching either, because I've only done it once and my show wasn't picked up. So maybe you should not listen to my advice and everything I say do the opposite. I know a lot of people do just have funny ideas. For me, with my animation, I'm just very personal with everything. Everything that I do, I, like it's really dear to my heart and it means something personally to me. Like even if it's just a throwaway shot of a hand grabbing a ball, I'll find like, oh, like what is the thing about this shot that I like love so much? So some people, they they're like, oh man, like I have this hilarious idea about, you know, like a a booger meeting a baseball bat and like that gets picked up, you know? So I, I don't necessarily know what the studios want. I don't think anybody does except them. But I think one thing that I have to say to everybody is if you have an idea and if you have even half of an opportunity to pitch it, do it. Because it's an amazing experience and you definitely will not regret taking the the time and the courage to pitch your idea. Because anyone can do it. If a random animator from Wally Kazam can pitch a show, any of you guys can. <laughs> that is good to hear. That is very good to hear. And, you know, speaking of animation too, you've now gone on, you know, to work on VR shorts. And, you know, now you're at third floor and you're working on an upcoming film What's it like going from working on a preschool show to working on something that's going to be, you know, in the virtual reality realm? VR is very different to animate on. It's really exciting. It's a completely new storytelling medium, which is I don't know. It's it's amazing. It's it's definitely what drew me to to VR is it's never really been done before. I mean, it was kind of done in the eighties. People always remind me of that. <laughs> it's been done before, but it's a challenge because the staging is completely different. You have to use staging and motion to draw the audience's eye, whereas in a normal film, their eye is where you want them to look because it's been framed that way. So there's definitely a craft to that. And you also can't cheat because people can look at your animation from all directions. So there's none of the, you know, playing to camera stuff that you normally could do. Everything has to feel balanced. There can't be any clashing geometry off screen or something because there is no off screen everything's on screen but despite the challenges it's really rewarding and fun and getting to see your animation in vr is super cool very cool and i meant to ask this earlier but i'll just ask this now how how were you able to go from a children's show into VR, did you have to, I'm assuming, did you have to put together an entirely new demo reel or did you take other classes or was it based off of, 
you know, what you had done at Nickelodeon and Disney and Pixar? Well, I got very lucky. The VR project that I worked on after Nickelodeon was at Penrose and the project was called Alumet and it came out fairly recently. If you have the ability to watch things in VR, you can check it out. It's pretty cartoony. It's kind of stop motion-y style animation. And so it was kind of based on the work that I had done at Nick and Pixar. And also I was fortunate. I have a friend from Academy named Bruna Bareford, and she's an awesome animator. She was the animation supervisor on that show. And so she hit me up when she found out that I was leaving Nickelodeon. And so I was able to kind of go over there also partially because I knew her and she knew my work. That's good. So a combination of skills that you had and work that you had done, plus, you know, keeping in contact with people. Yeah, I think that's generally how I've gotten most jobs is a combination of people I know and skills to back it up. (laughs) This is one mistake that I saw a lot of students make at Academy is they were super friendly and they were networking with everyone. Everyone, all these important people knew who they were, but they didn't have the skills to, you know, like you can't get hooked up with a job unless you take the time and you get really good first and then you can meet all the cool people and be super social. So there's definitely a balance. So they were doing it in reverse where it was, yeah, we're friends. This is great. My work is not yet at the level, so we can hang out, but you wouldn't necessarily hire me. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people do it in reverse, yes, where they they reach out to all of these people and befriend them and all this stuff, but I don't know. To me, it's animation is so hard. You really need at least a few solid years of just putting your head down and working your ass off and trying to get good. And once you have at least something to show, then you can, I think networking is, I don't know how I feel about networking. It feels kind of gross and fake to me. (laughs) I think networking is just being a, a normal person, you know, just being yourself around other people. I don't think you have to try and suck up to people at CTN or something. (laughs) That's a good way to think about it. More of a, this is a relationship between two people that enjoy each other's company and less of, I'm going to try to be the schmoozy, you know, used car salesman type person. Yeah, you live in LA, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... I feel like LA as a city is an example of the aspect of networking. (laughs) Yeah. To me, yeah, I I try and avoid anything that resembles that. Yeah, I've been to a lot of different events and I found it it really depends because I've been to a lot of animation events that, you know, they feel really good. And I feel like, oh, I had a really nice conversation with somebody and this was 
very friendly and not awkward and great. And then I've had some, I've had a couple of interactions where I'm like, that was weird. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Did not particularly enjoy that encounter. Yeah, it's always tough. I think the great thing about the animation community is how friendly everybody is. And I think we circumvent a lot of the awkward kind of douchey networking that occurs in LA just because we're all kind of nerds and we're all in it together and we generally have a pretty good time and everyone's really friendly and nice for the most part so yeah I mean I always have a really great time when I go to you know animation guild parties or CTN or whatever everyone's so cool and friendly and down to earth I think we're lucky in that way. There are a lot of other aspects of the filmmaking business that are less down to earth than the animation industry. I agree with that. I used to work in reality television and that was strange. And then I have friends that want to be screenwriters and they, they've gone to a couple events and some of the writing events they've gone to have been really good. And some of them have just been, it just sounded like it was just people not really interested in being friendly. It was more of, okay, what can you do for me? Oh, you can't do anything for me. Okay, I don't want to talk to you. It's like, ugh. It's like, this person might just be a nice person. Why not just talk to them because they're nice? Yeah, but I agree with you about, you know, the friendliness of animation. I attribute it to most of us growing up were the only people we knew that were really into art as much as we were or film or television or cartoons. And so you go through your formative years, essentially being alone in your interest. And then around your twenties or thirties, you finally meet other people that like what you like. And so I feel like because of that, the tendency is, Oh, I want to be around this person. And also it's hard to do anything in animation by yourself. You know, even in school, it's like you have a team, you have a team of people. So unless you're, you know, just that amazing and great at everything and have that kind of time. you Which some people are. <laughs> yeah, some people are. And to those people, more power to you. But I feel like most of us are more like, okay, I need to be able to work with people or else this will never happen and no one will ever see this. So I think that has a lot to do with it, too. Yeah, I think animation draws all different kinds of people, and some people are really amazing socially, and other people have a harder time and maybe are not the most socially confident person. And I always try and remember, too, when I'm at events like CTN, if someone is maybe not the most socially great and they feel a little bit awkward it's okay I, th I think I've seen some people who can get kind of clicky at work or it's CTN or at school or whatever and it's I think it's good to remember to be inclusive and if someone you know comes up and talks to you just be nice to them and say hi and don't be standoffish or weirded out by an awkward conversation you know that's a good way to think about it it's like just think of the other person and know that hey just it's good to talk to people you know just kind of get to see what they're about because you're right i mean they might be awkward just because they're nervous mm -hmm. 
I've definitely said awkward things before, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I'm like, why did I say that? <laughs> yeah. Everyone has those moments. Oh, I have too. It's, you grind the conversation to a halt and you're like, oh. <laughs> I, I like your point though. You make a really good point of just, you know, just get to know people and just talk to people and just kind of get to see what they're about first. I think this industry is great because it's inclusive and and I, I think it's all of our responsibilities to make sure that it's inclusive and that it stays inclusive and it could be more inclusive, you know? We're the next generation in this industry and it's our responsibility to make sure that we're reaching out to each other and bonding with each other. I mean, that's what networking should be. It shouldn't be about helping yourself. It should be about helping everybody else. You know, that's what my mentors were doing by teaching me and giving me lessons. They were reaching out and helping me. They weren't gaining anything from it. So I think as artists in this industry, we, we want to make sure that we're, you know, extending a hand and helping each other and helping new students and everybody, minorities and people who have a hard time breaking into the industry, people who are socially awkward or anything. We got to help each other out because the studios aren't going to do it for us. It's up to the artists. That is an excellent sentiment. And, you know, speaking of that, you know, now that you've been in the industry for a while, have you had an opportunity to, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, sometimes people will contact you through your website and that you've had a chance to talk and help people. Have you had a chance to mentor anybody? No, I, you know, I don't know. I try my best to answer emails when I get them. But I mean, you know, you reached out to me almost a year ago. I, I've been really busy. I feel like I'm still not quite at the place where I have the expertise. To, and, and maybe that's the wrong way of looking at it. But I'm just, I'm still trying to learn myself. I've still am so busy, you know, I, I'm working during the day and then working on my show and just trying to learn storyboarding and do all this stuff and have a social life and sometimes go to yoga class. I don't know. I have it. Maybe it's, maybe it's selfish and maybe I, I should try and teach a class, but I haven't had the opportunity yet. But I have been thinking about eventually when I do or if I do teach a class, what will be in there. But I don't know that I'm quite there yet. I think I still have a lot more learning to do before I'm even qualified to teach people, to teach other people. Yeah. Well, you, you've definitely helped people today, just sharing your experiences and what it's like with pitching and internships and getting things together and, and also encouraging people because a lot of people, myself included, you know, we paid for school, we had to work through school, and that can be really tough. So I feel like just, you know, sharing your story, you've been helping out people. I hope so. Yeah, if anybody gets help, and, and if anybody wants to reach out, you know, and hears this and wants more information, you know, my, my email's on my blog. And yeah, don't be shy about that. If I don't get back to people immediately, it's just because I'm busy, but I will eventually. <laughs> But 
Yeah, I mean, it is really hard. It's the hardest thing that I've ever done is doing animation. It's hard to go to school. It's hard to get the money together. It's hard to graduate. It's hard to get a job. But it's also rewarding and it's worth it. And it's such a great way to communicate with the next generation of kids. You know, we get to directly communicate with them, with our art and with the things that we do. And they really look up to the characters that we're creating and they emulate them and they learn from the stuff that we make. And I think that's really cool and rewarding. That is excellent. And that actually speaks to my next question, which is, you know, now that you're in the industry and working hard and seeing all of the industry has to offer, what inspires you? Are there any like movies or television shows or, or songs that you've heard or books you've read recently that have really resonated with you and, and influenced what you're working on? That's a great question. What inspires me? Music really inspires me. Almost every idea that I get for anything, whether it's a drawing or animated shot or whatever, I usually get from hearing a song or playing a song or something music related. So I personally, I've been listening to a lot of Bob Dylan lately. <laughs> yeah, the Basement Tapes is an amazing album. Let's see, as far as books goes, I mean, there's a lot of great animation learning books, Illusion of Life and Richard Williams books and all of that. I really like fairy tales. I've been hugely inspired. The show that I was making was kind of based on fairy tales. So I have this anthology of fairy tales from the 1920s that I've been reading that I found in an antique store in Oregon last summer. And I think I'm on book four out of 10 right now. They're from all over the world and they were all written in the 20s, which means that they were told by, told to whoever was writing it down in the 20s, probably by older people. So it's like, they're very old stories. And so that's really interesting to me. So I've been reading those and those are really fun and cool. And they're kind of, you know, they're fairy tales. So they're not, you can read like one a night or two a night or whatever, and you don't have to be like, oh God, I have to read this whole book, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I've been reading that. As far as movies and TV stuff goes, I haven't had a ton of time to watch TV lately, but I saw Moonlight recently and I loved that movie. I thought it was really cool. That's very good. And also I realized I never asked you this and I, I'm going to ask you this now. You know, you are a musician, you very much understand music, you've been in various bands, and you were also a performer in the Cinderella Company. And so I was curious, how has your musical background and your acting background helped you with animation? Because I imagine that they've been, you know, very good influences for what you're doing. You know, it's funny because when I first started studying animation, people said, oh, you're a musician, so this is going to be like really easy for you because you understand timing. And I was like, I don't understand animation timing <laughs> at all. 
And it wasn't until I took this class with T. Dan Hofstadt, who was a who's an incredible animator. He animated a lot of your favorite Disney shots. He did the Emperor from Mulan and Young Simba and all the stuff. Anyways, he's a musician. And he explained to me that the correlation between like the 4-4 beat and frames. So each of this is about six frames. And he explained it with the, the marching song. One, two, three, four, pick it up. Two, three, four. And so th then when I, when I kind of got that rhythm and realized that, oh, okay, each one of those is about six frames. That's why a walk is, you know, six frames per key pose, whatever. <laughs> I'm tired. So once I understood that, then I think being a musician was more helpful. But up until that point, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't really know much. Acting is very important to me in the animation that I do. I love to shoot reference of myself because I feel pretty comfortable acting. And it, it was kind of weirdly serendipitous the way that the acting thing came about. I got hired to work at this company playing Disney princesses while I was studying animation. And then eventually my first animation job was during Frozen at Disney. <laughs> so I went from being a Disney princess to animating Disney princesses. But then when I got to Disney, I realized that we weren't actually going to be working on Frozen. We were making our own film. So I didn't animate any Disney princesses, which is okay with me. Okay, but that's that's really interesting what you said about music because like I can kind of play guitar, <laughs> you know, and like and kind of play piano, but I know that you actually have, you know, a very rich musical background and have taught. And so I was just curious like how all of that comes into play. So that is very cool. I think you don't have to be a really good musician to gain the benefit of what music can bring to animation. I think the basic ideas that are in music are things that anybody, even not a non-musician, can understand. And they're all the same in animation. So it's not just the mechanic of timing, but every part of music, it's the same whether it's in a shot or if you're writing a story or if you're boarding a sequence, there's always going to be a crescendo. The dynamics of music right if something is quiet or loud or big or small like you want a, a range of that right if you listen to a song and it's super hipster and the singer doesn't really sing much stuff and it's all kind of the same the whole way through which a lot of songs are recently is boring same thing in an animation shot if you have a character that is just kind of acting the same way and nothing much changes like you need I was okay, so I was talking to my friends about this over the weekend. You know, in electronic music, the drop. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe. What are you what are you referring to? Where it's like it's 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 like go, going and going and going and it reaches a crescendo 
and then there's like a huge drop and then the bass kicks in and everything gets really big you know what i'm you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah i know what you're talking about now mm -hmm. everything needs a drop every shot needs a drop every story needs a drop you know like the song is like getting louder and louder and then oh you need that in your shot you need that in your story you need that in a painting that moment is applicable to all things but yeah so i, I think any anything that you enjoy about music you can use that as inspiration in your animation if you like the feeling of something of a song, you can try and replicate that vibe in your shot or in your short film. Or I've been obsessed with Lucinda Williams for years because she's amazing and she has this just this kind of like dirty, broken, messed up vibe to her of just strife. And I, I wanted to make a short film that gets the feeling of one of her songs for a while and every time I try it, it ends terribly and then I'm like okay that didn't work <laughs> I'll try again I've done a couple of 48 hour films or attempted to do them and then halfway through I'm like this is not this is not being true to Lucinda so <laughs> <laughs> but one day very cool. Well, that is, that is really cool. Well, Nicole, is there anything that I haven't asked or anything, you know, that you really want to share, you know, with the audience out there about, you know, your experiences or just animation in general? I think for whoever's listening, if you want to, to do animation or do art, I think be true to yourself and what you like. I had a high school English teacher who gave me this quote, and I think it's by E. Cummings, and it goes something along the lines of, to be yourself in a world that's constantly trying to make you somebody else is the hardest fight that you will ever fight. And I'm sure I terribly misquoted that, but you could look it up and it's very eloquent. So yeah, just be yourself and make things that you like to make and you'll be fine. Just work hard and be true to yourself. Excellent. That's very, very solid advice. And I'll make sure to include, you know, links to, you know, your blog and Twitter and Vimeo so that people can see your work and see what you're all about because you have a lot of really, really cool information out there. Thank you so much for, for having me on. Absolutely. And that concludes today's interview. Special thanks to Nicole for being an amazing guest. And make sure to check out her websites, which you can see in the show notes. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure to leave a five-star review in iTunes. All of your reviews help more and more people to find out about the show. And you can also support the show by visiting www.theanimatedjourney.com and clicking on the PayPal button on the right-hand side. All of your donations help me to pay for the technical costs of keeping the website and the podcast up and running. And make sure to support our sponsors, Amazon, Audible, Loot Crate, and Blueberry Podcast Hosting. 
You know the drill. Every time you click on those banner ads and make a purchase, a little bit of money comes back to the show. So thank you so much for supporting the show's sponsors. They appreciate it, and I appreciate it also. And to find out what else is going on in the world of animation, including all those upcoming events that I told you about up top, you can visit the Facebook page at facebook.com slash theanimatedjourney. On Tumblr, the site is theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com. And on Twitter and Instagram, the handle is at animjourney. And to find out what I've been up to lately, which during the entire month of October was Inktober. Lots of fun. You can check out all of my previous Inktober posts and everything I'm up to lately now by visiting www.sketchysoul.com. On Tumblr, the site is sketchysoul.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at sketchysoul. So thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to all of you for your support. You are all wonderful people. I appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody.